so let's go into the word this morning as we talk about the timeless lessons from the 12 tribes of Israel. And I want to talk to you about the tribe of Levi and God's amazing grace. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit has to say in all the name and the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, when Leah gave birth to her third child, um, it's almost like you've heard the cliche that, you know, three times the charm. Because what happened after Reuben and Simeon and then Levi, there was finally a breakthrough in her relationship with Jacob. Because Jacob was very much, uh, loved Rachel and so forth. And Leah kind of just didn't feel like she was loved. But as she had her third son, she named him Levi. And Levi means joined. It means joined. It's kind of like when you join a, a, a baseball league or you get married and you, you join that person. You become one. And so what happened, the reason she named him Levi is because at this point she felt joined to Jacob after finally giving him his third child. And of course we learned two Sundays ago Levi was the sidekick to Simeon on that joint attack in Shechem which was uh, pure revenge and basically a lack of self-control because these guys went into the city and of course their dad made a, a, a decree or a, a covenant with the king because unfortunately the king's son uh, raped uh, Dinah um, Jacob's daughter and so forth. And so Levi and Simeon just went hell-bent, so to speak, and just kind of like ransacked the city. And after all the men had been circumcised, they decided to go in to kill all of those men in that city. And of course, their father didn't approve for what happened. But the tribe of Levi is part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so in Genesis 29, 34, it says, again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me, joined because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name will be Levi. Now, the tribe of Levi was considered the chosen tribe. And um, in God's original plan, the firstborn sons were, were to have, a, they were supposed to be set apart as priests. And when the Lord spared the, first, uh, the, spared the Jewish firstborns in Egypt, he designated them for this special role to be priests uh, for him. And the tribe of Levi mostly served in Israel, served Israel in religious matters, but sometimes they were involved in the political world, but mainly all of us know about the, the Levite priest and all that kind of stuff. And they were important to Israel because mostly they oversaw the administration of cities and the maintenance of the holy sites, which were called the temples and the tabernacles. And we read in Deuteronomy 10.8, it says, at that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless him in his name to this day. Now, a Levite was a, was a direct descendant of Levi, but there were also certain requirements one had, to, one had to master in order to be classified as a Levite. And the original Levites were the firstborn sons of the tribe, and these boys grew up to be men, and they were the higher-ranking priest of Israel called um, Colhinnom. And the tribe of Levi, if you think about it, Levites were, they usually wore an agate, uh, and they had this type of a colorful stone to signify which tribe that they were from. And um, some of you have maybe seen a picture of a Levite priest or maybe that, 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 that um, crest that had all those different stones and so forth. And even when the Levites were slaves in Egypt, they were given permission by the Egyptians. How many of you would have loved to have been a Levite in this kind of a situation? Because what happened was the Egyptians decided to let them devote themselves to spiritual pursuits instead of having to do all the hard labor. And we know the kind of difficulties that the Israelites went through 
as slaves in Egypt, but the, the Levites got the privilege of devoting themselves to spiritual pursuits instead of hard labor that many Israelites did. Now, the tribe of Levi provided many with encouragement. They provided many with strong examples of, of living a godly life and so forth. And, and the tribe was the only tribe that wasn't given any land. A lot of the tribes were given land, but this specific tribe was not given land because of their service to the Lord. And so what happened was, um, because they, they had to travel throughout Canaan, their job was to serve and to minister to the, to the Lord's instruction and carry out the required sacrifices for all the 12 tribes of Israel. So they really didn't have their own land while everyone else did. And if they were limited to one territory, of course, what would happen is they couldn't carry effectively what God called them to do and what God wanted them to do in carrying out service to the Lord. So instead, God assigned cities to the Levites. He said, I want you to go to this city. I want you to go to this city and, and therefore, and carry out these priestly duties that I want you to do. Now, these cities were spread throughout the land of Canaan, and they surrounded every tribe, and they surrounded every region. And there's a full list of these cities. We don't have time to go through it, but if you go to Joshua 21, you can read the designated cities by God for the Levites to live in and to serve those areas. Now, earlier I told you about the Colomum, the Colomum and these, this was an elite group of the tribe of Levi. They made up the priest class. These were the elite. They were kind of like the Navy SEALs or something like that. But they were responsible for the leadership at the Jerusalem temple. They had a huge responsibility. And the Israelites building believed to contain that, 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 that Jerusalem temple contained the presence of God. They oversaw the staff of the temple, like the cleaners. They, they oversaw the guards. They oversaw the maintenance, the crews, and the construction workers who were lower-ranked Levites. And, and the Kulamums, other responsibilities and traits included this. These, these high priests um, basically had to host religious ceremonies. Um, they couldn't drink an abundance of wine. Um, they could not defile their bodies by touching uh, dead bodies. Uh, they, could not, they could only marry certain women. Um, they had to wear strict uniform while they were in the temple. They blessed the people of Israel during certain ceremonies. And they were not allowed to own any land or any farming uh, or, or farming in that time. Other people of the tribe who were not part of the priest class held a variety of roles. Some of those roles were guarding the temple and guarding other religious locations and assets. Others were involved in singing, and they were part of the temple choir. Uh, some of them helped relocate and transport or move religious artifacts. Others constructed and maintained holy buildings. And so there was a lot of things that people were involved in. And so in Numbers 3, 11 through 13 and 40 through 41, it says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel, instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both man and of beast. They shall be mine, I am the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, List all the firstborn males of the people of Israel, from a month old and upward, taking the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me, and I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel." And the cattle of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the cattle of the people of Israel. Now, you most, most of you understand that in the Old Testament, maybe some of you don't, but in the Old Testament, God required a blood sacrifice. Everyone say sacrifice. 
wasn't just any kind of a sacrifice, but a blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of the Israelites. Now, we all know about Pharaoh because most of us have seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and so forth, or we've seen flannel graphs growing up in kids' church, or perhaps Moses and what took place in Egypt and so forth with the children of Israel. But we all knew that Pharaoh was stubborn. Pharaoh was a very stubborn man. He had a hard heart, and God eventually allowed the firstborn males in Egypt all to die. And because of that, Pharaoh's hard-headedness and refusal to let the Hebrew people go caused God to demonstrate his strength and his power. So the tribe of Levi became the sacrifice of thanksgiving. They became the sacrifice of thanksgiving for God delivering to the Hebrews the children of Israel. Ah, thank you. Thank you. I needed to have some salsa this morning. I forgot to get some. But basically, here's what happens um, in this situation. Um, The tribe of Levi became the sacrifice of thanksgiving for God delivering the Hebrews to safety. And in exchange for the firstborn males and livestock, God took the Levites as a sacrifice for himself and dedicated the tribe of Levi to serve him. Genesis 46, 11 says, Levi went to Egypt with his three sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Moriah. Moriah. During the time of Egypt, during the time of Exodus, the Israelites grew greatly in number. This, this tribe began to blow up. It was during that time that the tribe of Levi would rise to its known prominence through the service to the Lord. They would right the wrongs of what, the, of what Levi had done in the past. And their faithfulness to God was noticed, and their faithfulness to God was rewarded, as we'll see later on. But, but later, we learned both of a birth that would change history, and that was the birth of Moses. Both his father Amram and his mother were Levites, making him pure Levitical um, blood. And thus Moses and Aaron were direct descendants of Levi, the son of Jacob. Amram married a Levite woman, and they had three children, of course, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And the emergence of the tribe of Levi would, soon, would, 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 occur, would occur soon after Israel's flight from Egypt in the desert of the Sinai. So I wanted to give you a little bit of a background of a, a little bit about Levi and a little bit about the tribe of Levi to kind of, get, to kind of turn gears and kind of go from the here and now to the then and there. Um, you know, what is the application for the here and now from the then and there that we just read about? Number one is this, if you want to write this down. Chaos always starts when someone is grumbling. Chaos always starts when someone is in a grumbling mood or always complaining and blaming others for their misfortunes. Now, here's why I said this to you, going from the um, here and now, from the then and there. But let's go back to the the, the then and there. You see, in Exodus 32, there was the golden calf. How many of you ever heard that story? The golden calf, of course, um, soon after their flight from Egypt, God called Moses to meet him on top of a mountain. And Moses ascended to the top of Mount Sinai in obedience to God. God asked him to go up because he wanted to give him some some rules and some things that would help the people that were down in the valley and so forth. And so he went up to the mountain and received a lot of instructions from God, including the Ten Commandments. Now, Scripture records that the Israelites down below, they grew anxious, they complained, and they were grumbling. And so they gathered around Aaron, the brother of Moses, and questioned him as why Moses was taking so long on that mountain. Maybe he's dead. Maybe, maybe he got struck by lightning. You know, uh, we've lost our leader. And what happened was they became fearful. They became fearful and urged Aaron to make gods for them. 
So in Exodus 32, 1, it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. You see, chaos was starting to develop in the camp because of grumbling, because of complaining, because of blaming and all this other stuff. They go on and said this, As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron, instead of being the godly man that he should have been, he gave in to their demands. He gave in to their demands. And with little resistance, they made a calf hammered and covered with gold, as Scripture records, that the Israelites offered to him. And on top of that, Scripture indicates that the Israelites sat down to eat and drink and got up indulged in, in rivalry. And basically what that means is that they were involved in sexual immorality to a large scale. So Scripture seems to imply that all the tribes of Israel were participating in this debauchery that we read about or that we saw in the movie and so forth. But that was not the case. That was not the case. There was one tribe who remained faithful, which we're soon going to find out who that tribe was. Meanwhile, on the top of the mountain, God warns Moses of this idolatrous festival that's going down below. And he says, you need to go. You need to go back down. So Moses with Joshua descended the mountain to the camp below. And scripture records the scene in Exodus 32, 25. It says this, Moses saw that the people were running wild. They were crazy. They were just going off. And that Aaron had let them get out of control. So they became a laughingstock to their enemies. The camp was in complete chaos. Have you ever left a situation where you, you, maybe you left your kids at home and you said, hey, you guys, I'll be back in about 35 minutes to an hour. Remember, know this, know this, know that. Okay, yes, we got you, mom. We got you, dad. You leave, you go to the store, and you come back, and the house is turned upside down. And, and it seems like just everything's a mess and everything was crazy and everything that they promised they would do, they ended up not doing. And you're like, my gosh, I was just gone for an hour and look at this place. It's a mess. That's the situation that, that Moses was encountering when he went down to the mountain. And the, de- the demonstration one of, was of gross immorality and idolatry. We're living in a day and age where there's a lot of immorality. There's a lot of idolatry. There is no difference from what we're experiencing in this world today than what Moses did when he came back down from that mountaintop. And Moses was furious. He was upset with the Israelites. In fact, Scripture records that it says this, His anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. The Bible says Moses stood at the entrance of the the camp and offered the Israelites one chance. Everyone say one chance. He gave them one chance to turn from their ways. And the Bible says this. He said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Now, you would think that after he had done what he had done, coming down the mountain and his hair turned color white and so forth, that they would all come running to Moses and say, hey, forgive us, forgive us, God. We made a mistake and so forth. But he asked, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And amidst the chaos, and amidst the debauchery taking place, only one tribe answered Moses' call. Only one. Guess what that tribe was? It was the tribe of Levi. And it says in the Bible, and all the Levites rallied to him. All the Levites rallied to him. The other tribes, they didn't do it. They should have, but this tribe did. 
And the Lord was angry at his people because of their lack of faith, which caused them to complain and grumble over this and that, from Moses' leadership to, the, to their lack of not having enough and missing what they had in Egypt. And this made them lack having a heart of gratitude in the process. Yet in the middle of God's anger, God must have raised an eyebrow in delight as a tiny band of people emerged from the mass of immorality, as a, as a, as a merge of people, as a group of people emerged from the mass of, 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 of um, all sorts of debauchery, and they rallied around Moses. And God indeed took a notice of the faithfulness of this tribe. Remember, this is the same tribe whose, whose father, Levi, did all these things that he should have never done. But he did. But he realized that this tribe, he could use them. These people had, had proven their faithfulness to him against the, the pressures of remaining with the other tribes of Israel. The tribe of Levi is the only tribe Scripture mentioned rallied to the call of Moses. The only one. Though the, though the Israelites were the chosen nation of God, it was because of the faithfulness of these individuals. You see, friends, I want you to listen to me this morning. Some of you have been faithful, and you're wondering, where's the fruitfulness from my faithfulness? It's going to come in God's time. But do not be weary in well-doing. Because in God's proper time, God will have, his, will have the last say-so. It was because of the faithfulness of these individuals. This incident shows God sought obedience regardless of their race, regardless of their ethnicity. It was all about this one word called obedience. You've heard the phrase, obedience is better than sacrifice, right? Obedience is important. Obedience is something that we need. The application from the here and now, from the then and there, is this number two. Spiritual blindness usually occurs when people reject God's truth because of their pride and their selfishness. Spiritual blindness usually occurs when people reject God's truth because of their pride and their selfishness. Isn't that what we're experiencing in America today? There's a spiritual blindness. It's even creeping into the church. Things that were once wrong are now right, and things that were once wrong are, 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 are and things that were once right are now wrong. Spiritual blindness. This should go without saying, but pride can be a tricky thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having pride over your kids or pride over this or that. I mean, there's, there's certain things that you should be proud of, you know, living in America or whatever it may be or something like that. But pride can be a tricky thing. An ungodly life, an ungodly pride in a life is not from God. It may not always have the same flavor as you think it does, and sometimes even seemingly an honorable reason are masking something more serious or malicious in the nature if one is not careful with this thing called pride. Listen to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. It says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desire. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Nokora was an individual who led this rebellion against Moses. He's the one that complained against Moses and Aaron. And it was rooted in his belief that the entire nation of Israel was already considered holy. And so what happened, then no one should be seen as more exalted than anyone else. And he and others even went as far as using God's very nature and presence to support their grievances. So it says this in Numbers 16.3. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. 
You know, you're, you're, you're being too over-religious or holy or whatever it may be. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? You see, Korah's pretense was soon revealed as a selfish ambition. There was selfishness in his heart. His prideful and arrogant living resulted in twisting God's word for his benefit. Isn't that what we're living in today? People are twisting the word of God for their benefit instead of taking it at face value for what God is asking us to do. So they twist it, they manipulate it, they change it so that it matches their desires and what they want in their life and so forth. And what happened was, because of the twisting of God's word for his benefit, it resulted in rejecting the need for a godly connection with who God was. And this led him to an unproductive, an unproductive, uh, unproductive path where he placed all glory onto himself. He made it all about him. There's, let me tell you, friends, there's no blessing within such vain endeavors. Following empty desires will only lead you astray from what true faith means. And what is true faith? True faith is humility before God. Humility before God, who lifts those whose hearts are wholly given over to him in that situation or in that circumstance of what they're going through in their life. James 4, 6 says this, but he gives, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3.34 says he mocks proud mockers but gives grace or favor to the humble. Now, I recently heard about a, a pastor in Springfield, Missouri, and he was sharing with his congregation about the definition of humility. His name is Dr. Jim Bradford. He used to be the pastor at Newport Mesa Christian Center in, in Costa Mesa. And he said this, the definition of humility is this. I thought this was so good. Listen to this. The definition of humility is this. The accurate assessment of oneself, the accurate assessment of oneself without needing to be the center of attention. That's humility in a nutshell. The accurate assessment of oneself without needing to be the center of attention. He went on and said, humility frees us from the need of this. And this is so good. Humility frees us from the need of proving to prove anything to anyone. When you're a humble person, you don't have to prove yourself. You can let God fight your battles. Humility frees us from the need to feel superior to others to feel good about ourselves. Have you ever done that? Tore down someone else so that you can feel better about yourself? That's not humility. That's pride. But humility frees, it frees us from the need to feel superior to others to feel good about ourselves. Number three, humility frees us from the need to always win and have the last word. That's powerful. You don't have to have the last word. But when you, when you feel like someone's doing this to you or that to you, oh, you got to have the last word because of your pride, because you want to make sure that you're the winner and they're the loser. But that's not, what God, that's not what God wants us to do. Humility frees us from the need to hold on to grudges or, and offenses. Humility frees us to hold on to grudges and offenses. Yes, I understand what's happened to you is, is real and raw and it's wrong and it hurts. But when you walk in a posture of humility, you don't hold on to grudges. You don't hold on to offenses. You, you go with what the scripture says. Love keeps no record of wrong. That's humility. Hum and the last thing is this. Humility frees us from the need to control the feelings and behaviors of others. Oh, that's so good. That's what humility does. 
And that's why the church, we need to understand that humility is a beautiful thing to have and to become. Because what happens when we're selfish and when we're prideful, we become blind spiritually. And that's what happened to the children of Israel. They became blind because of their pride, because of their selfishness, with Moses not coming down from the, top, the mountaintop. And the last thing is this. The final application from, for the here and now, from the then and there, is this. No matter how broken we become, God still wants to restore us and use us for his glory. Aren't you thankful for that? That no matter how broken we become, these wonderful people that are giving up a vacation with a purpose, that are going to serve God's interest in the lives of these children, that are literally like the tribe of Levi going and being obedient to what God is calling them to do. You are a remnant that God wants to use to save the broken, the broken and the needy and the hurt, and to remind them that God wants to restore them, that God wants to use them for his glory. Think about Levi. He plotted, he murdered, he acted in revenge, yet no matter the sin, Levi's tribe was rewarded for their eventual obedience. Yes, there may be curses in your family from first, second, third, fourth generation, but you can break them in the name of Jesus. You can break those curses. You can believe God's best for your life and for your family and for your children and for your grandchildren and so forth because Levi did all these negative things, yet the tribe of Levi did the opposite and God used them in a a miraculous way. God worked out all things for the good. Talk about God's amazing grace. God is going to work out all things for your good, just like he did for the tribe of Levi. You've never sinned too much or have been too far gone from God for him to work in you and use you for his kingdom. The tribe of Levi became the tribe responsible for the care and maintenance of the tabernacle. When the tribe of Levi is mentioned in relation to their duties, they're referred to as the Levites. Their special uniqueness led to God to bless them. God blessed them. Through their many cities and pasture lands they received and mentioned above, they were the temple workers, they were the servants, they were the overseers. The word of God would be transmitted from the Levites to his people. Their role in history of Israel was perhaps the most vital role of all the tribes, the chosen ones. No matter how broken we become like Levi, God still wants to restore us. God still wants to use us for his glory like he used the tribe of Levi for his glory. Every head is bowed and eyes are closed in this sacred moment.